Serie A fans, buon anno! Happy New Year from the Serie A squad at the Total Football Analysis Podcast. I am Daniele Proc and I am joined by Chris Mumford, a professor of innovation at the University of Chapel Hill in North Carolina and host of the EPL show. Chris, I hate to start on a sad note, but what is the mood right now in the US after the unsettling events from Wednesday night? I think startled. Uh, I, I, it's, it's actually, there's a, uh, you know, it's something people are comparing it to an insurrection or a coup, which uh, is just hard to imagine that this is 2020 and this is happening. W one of the silver linings to it, though, is that there are folks across the political spectrum that are saying, all right, this is completely unacceptable. So I'm hopeful that um, good judgment uh, is going to prevail. And, uh, you know, we've got that people realize it's, it's a government of, of laws rather than a government of people. Um, so, um, yes, uh, but we'll see. It's a, uh, it's a fascinating time. So many things are just swirling because obviously of COVID. And, uh, you know, I imagine in, in Italy as well as here, we're going to be figuring things out. In the meantime, I'm just excited to be watching football while it lasts. Mm -hmm. And we absolutely hope that peace will be restored as soon as possible. Chris, today we're joined by a special guest, a true Serie A connoisseur, who's going to help us break down what's happening in this campaign, as well as give us some precious insight on the vibrant calcio mercato transfer deals that are happening in Italy. His name is Giacomo Gallardini. He's got true Italian blood as he was born in Livorno, Tuscany. He lived there until he was 24. He now lives in Berlin. He is a senior content editor at OneFootball. He is the Forbes contributor writing about Serie A. His favorite club is obviously Livorno, then AC Milan in this particular order. And his favorite player is Paolo Maldini because Giacomo was a defender himself. Giacomo, welcome on the show and thank you for being with us. Well, thanks for the invitation and hi everyone. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Yeah, Giacomo, can you uh, begin by telling us a little bit more about yourself and how your life journey took you to Berlin, please? Sure. Um, it started with my um, university. I was doing a BA in uh, foreign language and literature. So I took German and as a major and I decided to have an Erasmus, which is like a student exchange program in Europe. Um, so I uh, was 21 when I uh, first moved to Berlin for an year. I really liked that. And I decided to uh, move back uh, right after my uh, thesis dissertation back in Italy. And then uh, from then on, I uh, embarked myself in a really... Um, Barrogate uh, academical quest. Uh, I studied journalism uh, in Denmark and uh, in the Netherlands. And after that, I worked in Brussels for a couple of years. Um, I was doing more uh, political journalism. Uh, but of course, I had really um, a big passion, uh, not only for being Italian, but also as a football player, as you already mentioned. Uh, for football and this is something that I always uh, you know brought up with me on the side and I decided to uh, step into uh, football journalism uh, when I moved to Berlin to join uh, OneFootball which is one of the uh, biggest uh, football app um, in, in the well in the soccer sorry in the soccer landscape uh, we are um, writing in six different languages for a lot of uh, 
I think around 60 to 70 uh, million user uh, mm. weekly, uh, like we really big numbers. Uh, we produce a lot of content, we have videos, we do scores, betting, whatnot. Uh, so it's really a dynamic kind of uh, environment and uh, that's why I'm here and I'm really eager to talk with you guys and uh, confront, let's see uh, if uh, soccer in the US is still uh, as good as, uh, you know, what we get from Europe, you know, like the, the image that we had about the MLS and, you know, a lot of scouting, a lot of like we have Ibrahimovic in common. So I'm sure that we have a lot to talk about and I'm really glad to start. Yeah. And uh, so you mentioned the several languages. So I'm curious, you speak Italian, you speak English, you live in, in Germany. So you obviously speak German. You speak what? Livornese? The Livorno dialect? What else? That's exactly. That's the most important dialect and <laughs> most important. That's how I code uh, myself, you know, with the rest of the world. That's how I interact. Uh, um, that's, that's a really perfect description. You just add a sprinkle of Spanish in there and then, and then we're good. Um, it, it's a bit of, um, it's a bit of, um, interesting thing when I then meet Italians abroad and then I actually managed to get, it's like a, a little sport for me, try to figure it out the dialect mm. and just like a couple of like how quickly I can get the dialect of the person that is speaking to me. So I think that is, uh, it's really interesting, not only the language kind of aspect, but the dialect, especially with football and especially with Tuscany, you know, because there is a lot of rivalries between, you know, Fiorentina and Livorno and then Pisa, of course. I mean, it's, it's low tire league, but we're really proud people. So really <laughs> keen on fighting with each other. Yeah, and uh, so Giacomo, you used to play as a defender while you, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, you play now as a striker in your pickup games. <laughs> but Chris, considering that Giacomo has learned to defend the Italian way, I'm sorry, oh. but I, I just see a mismatch here, Chris. I don't know. What do you think about it? Well, my game is very similar to Lukaku's, and he's doing very well against Italian de defenders. So um, uh, I do have a little American in me. Might does make right sometimes. Uh, but you put in some technical skill and a little bit of craftiness, and I like I like my chances. I look forward to uh, to to kidding up uh, with 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 y'all and seeing where, how how things go someday soon. Oh, we hope so. We hope so. So let's get going, guys. Let's begin with the highlight of uh, Serie A's last round. There is no longer a team that is undefeated in the Serie A campaign because Milan fell at home three to one against Juventus. Twice, Federico Chiesa, and then American Weston McKennie sealed the victory for the Bianconeri over Milan. They had been able to equalize momentarily in the first half with a goal by uh, Davide Calabria, but Milan wasn't really able to keep up with the pace of Juventus as the game went on. So we know, guys, that Milan was torn apart. Davide Calabria was playing as a midfielder, even though he's a natural uh, right back. There was no real striker, Ibrahimovic and Ante Rebic. They were both out and Leal had to play as a nine. But all excuses aside, how do you guys see Milan in this game? I'll go ahead and start out. I, I have to tell you, I mean, it's it, it's fascinating. And of course, I, I follow the Premier League. But when you see Lampard play the youngsters last year, and they did as well as they can, surprise most folks. And then you see what's happening at Arsenal now, where it's like the older guy, the veterans are not taking care of it. We're going to put in some youngsters. And we're going to see what happens. 
And, you know, the truth is that Milan is, is putting in young, younger youngsters for youngsters right now, I feel mm-hmm. like. And I have to tell you, I mean, if you look at uh, the expected goals, 1.89 for Juve and 1.95 for Milan. Oh. So the opportunities were, were pretty comparable. There were 33 shots in the game, which is, I love that, right? As a former goalkeeper, I love those opportunities. 14 of which were on target. Um, and Milan actually had eight on target versus six. So I actually think that um, considering the circumstances and the considering the number of lira or euros on Juve's side of the pitch, they did masterfully. And, and Liao, to his credit, I, I mean, there were instances where I was like, who's this guy, right? I mean, that, that cross that he did... Typically, they're going to drive it into the near post hard and just hope for something. And Juve's defenders were all back. But from 12 to 18, there was this open zone, and he put, and he put it right there. And I, and I just I love seeing that sort of enthusiasm. Do I think they can, they can contend for the Scudetto this year? I still am skeptical about that. But this is a team of – of, of 2023, maybe, where it's like, watch out. Next year, who knows? Uh, wh- what's your take on, on the match? Well, I, um, I agree with you with the um, idea that is really uh, the youth that kind of like brought this, uh, this uh, really enjoyable game and this fire, this offensive kind of like uh, probliness because I actually uh, didn't know about this uh, um, number and it's actually surprising that AC Milan has a higher rate right. of expected goals and it's really interesting for me because I believe that one of the things that uh, is driving the Italian soccer right now in the COVID situation is that the old idea of the catenaccio of the really highly defensive and strategical kind of like game style is a bit fading away gradually due to the circumstances, of course, but also due to the new ideas that the coaches are bringing in. Because let's not forget that, as uh, Daniele mentioned and as you mentioned, Juventus won against Milan and Milan lost after 304 days in a row in which they were undefeated. But it did that by winning for the first probably truly time with his own ideas. Because let's not forget that Chiesa and uh, Kulusevsky and McKennie that really managed to win the game for Juventus are all <clears throat> new uh, transfers that Pirlo actually wanted. Uh, people were a bit kind of criticizing Pirlo because they were like thinking he cannot pull a Zidane, you know, like you take a former player with no experience, you put him on a bench, and yet he uh, put on Kulusevsky and Weston McKennie and he sealed the game by Hood, assist of Kulusevsky and score by McKennie. Plus the mismatch between Chiesa and um, Teo Hernandez for me is another key of analysis of the game. So I really agree with you when uh, when you say that, uh, of course, uh, the young blood is bringing more uh, proliness, more offensiveness, more gold, more fun. Uh, but I also want to stress out that is probably Pirlo's new ideas that this was truly the first game that he won with his philosophy. So probably this is an added value for Juventus in the long run. Yeah, and about that Chiesa, uh, Teo Hernandez um, mismatch, I have a question because I refuse to believe that Teo does not have the pace to keep up with Chiesa. 
but as it happened in the on the occasion of the first goal, Tell just showed to be a little lazy defensively, but that's not the first time that we see that. He's incredibly good at um, running forward, but uh, he has shown before that when it comes down to defending, maybe he's not doing the diagonal or is you know uh, holding back a little bit. Um, so the mismatch was more, I would say, mentally won by Kiza because he, he was more convinced. It was more decisive. And since we're here, let's break down how beautiful the first goal was because Kiza, he first tried to engage uh, Teo on a one versus one. However, he realized that he was standing, so he didn't have the momentum, right, to get past him. So he moved the ball across, looked for Dybala and followed through with his run. I love when wide players do that to then receive the ball back. We see that so often in players like Mane or Salah in the Premier League. And he was he was awarded because Dybala, obviously here Dybala, very talented. He was able to give the ball back at the right time with his back heel. And Kiesa at that point, he had so much momentum that his shot just came off the foot uh, beautifully, right? With the right pace, right angle, and he was able to score. But Giacomo, back to your point, I, I agree that Juventus's depth made a difference because Pirlo took out Chiesa and Dybala, so assist maker and um, goal scorer. He put in Kulusevski and McKenny. Guess what? Goal scorer cool. and assist maker. So um, great, great move by Pirlo. Uh, Chris, you were you were saying that you you liked uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma's performance in this game. Is that right? I did. I did. And you know, in in last season, I I didn't feel that he he'd build up to the reputation, but this season, he's just really stepped up and I just, I like, you know, very early on, if a keeper can go out and, and collect a high ball and just kind of let people know that this is my house uh, and you're just visiting, particularly he went through a tremendous amount of heavy traffic. And I just know, and I'll ask the striker, you, I mean, when you see a keeper do that early on, you're like, wow. Okay. So this is what it's going to be like today. So, uh, you know, I really think that I think you can tell that he's comfortable in his skin with respect to the leadership component. I think in the in past years, he's been a little quieter, but I think, you know, he's he's played a lot of games in the last four years. Right. So he just that confidence shows and in, in the back line. Trust them on that. Um, I hope he chewed out Theo for that first goal, because that was just sloppy, getting caught on the outside and not following your runner. That's what keepers got to do it to make that difference. Communication is the twelfth man, as far as I'm concerned. Almost two hundred Serie A appearances in the past yeah. four years. It's like 190, 93. Giacomo, by the way, since we're here, what's what's the renewal of the contract looking like for uh, for Donnarumma? <laughs> well, it's not looking really uh, good for AC Milan. Not in a sense that actually Mino Raiola and Gianluigi Donnarumma are not really pulling it to stay for AC Milan, but they're really negotiating high for the, for the wage. So I think that Paolo Maldini and Daniele Massara at some point will have to, you know, uh, get some money out of, the, of, out of the bag if they want uh, Donnarumma uh, for the next season. And I really uh, agree with um, Chris when he said that uh, he is actually improving a lot uh, uh, in comparison to the past season. And I agree with you when you said that I can see him more responsible in a kind of defensive way, like his calls, 
the defenders in the case that you know uh, they're not uh, performing really well he started uh, having more uh, charisma also outside of the pitch with interviews he's trying to kind of put his face there and, and get in there for AC Milan and trying to show everyone, especially because of, you know, all the, all the talks that has been true with the negotiation going on, that is really committed to AC Milan. So you can see it uh, on the pitch as well. So let me ask you this question. What other team could afford him? Who, who needs a top flight keeper that can afford him right now? Because my take is he's going to be there next year because I don't see any of the other big clubs wanting to spend a bunch of money on a, on a goalkeeper right now. Um, I agree with you. Uh, I think that all the big guns are kind of covered in that area because like, if you think about Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid, Barcelona in the Liga, everyone is really, you know, kind of good. Then who else might have the money? It's, the other question, and there are two answers to that question. One goes to France and PSG, mm. which is another matter of, 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 uh, of discussion because I don't think that the current situation with PSG really allows them to splash out much until June because they have a new coach and because they want to see um, how hard is going to be the crisis, the, uh, the economical crisis because of COVID. I think the one that has a bit more chance is probably the Premier League. And I wanted to ask you if you think that probably Chelsea could go for that. There was a kind of rumor. Uh, do you think that that could be a possibility? <laughs> Another so people at Chelsea? <laughs> yeah, my, my take is that, that Mendy, as you know, just came on incredibly strong seven i think it was seven shutouts i mean just really crushed it last two or three games he's regressed his handling is not is is we're starting to see the cracks a little bit more on his handling he doesn't catch the ball he does a lot of deflecting wide uh which is okay in in ligun but in the premier league uh you've got fast wingers that can pick up the ball again i i don't see that move happening um i think chelsea's going to try to fix um, some some other problems, maybe a defensive midfielder or maybe even some more additional help in the back. PSG, if you think that Navas is not sufficient, PSG has money. I don't think I think PSG's worried about signing Mbappe, Neymar, and trying to get Messi, and then maybe picking up Ericsson, and then maybe picking up Dele Ali. So I happen to think Navas is an outstanding keeper, even though he's only six foot. Um, so. I just don't see any of the so-called Super League teams that really need a significant goalkeeper need. And I, I hope that Donnarumma doesn't burn any bridges in Milan because I suspect he's going to be there a long time. It's a great fit. It's a team that's going to peak in a couple of years. He's 21 years old. He barely knows. He, he probably didn't know what an interview was two years ago, right? And now he's probably figured out the routine. And he could be, we're talking about, dynasty player for one of the best clubs in the world so i don't see i don't see that anything happening in the premier league frankly i don't see anything happening anywhere for, for that because unfortunately keepers don't get the love as you know uh they don't get the credit for how much uh, you know uh, i've been arguing with daniela who's a keeper uh, <laughs> a goal stopped is the same as a goal made it's just it's equal <laughs> stop complaining that's the goalkeeper union talking right there
I've had enough of it. <laughs> uh, but you know what? If they get rid of uh, um, of Donnarumma, they're gonna have to get rid of his brother, and they're not gonna do that. His brother is essential. <laughs> Antonio, <laughs> true. Uh, AC Milan lost, but they uh, they're still the capolista, the league leaders, because Inter, who were second, they lost too. They lost away at Sampdoria. It was an upset. Guess what? Inter lose and Lukaku doesn't play. I know we've talked about this before, but I don't know, Giacomo, do you see a connection there? Because I do see one. I That's actually a good question. I do and I don't. Like I do in a way because it's true that uh, I was reading one of the Opta statistics um, about the last six games and uh, three of them play with Lukaku, three without Lukaku or with Lukaku not starting. And there was a big difference in point. I think it was just like two draws and one loss without Lukaku and two wins and one draw with Lukaku. I really believe that for the way that Conte 3-5-2 outplays and, and the way that they are used now, because it's the second season, Lukaku is the main terminal for all the offensive chances that uh, Inter is creating. Because the physical and technical striker, he has his presence up there, he makes the wingers go on the side, providing it with assists and crosses. So uh, I believe that there is a way in which Inter is not working without him. That being said, Inter, and, and I have to ask Chris about that because he's the expert, uh, but I believe that they created a lot more chances than Sampdoria. They have greater uh, ball possession. They had more uh, um, pressing. They were attacking until the very last. I've, uh, more corner kicks, more shots on target. I think that they really showed that they try to have their game, but it's just like one of these days in which ball just doesn't want to get in. The pitch condition, of course, had an impact on that. Um, also, we have to think about that Sampdoria for the way that they actually thought about the game. They were, you know, waiting for Inter to attack. Uh, defending compactly with two lines of defender close to the box so to, and, and trying to do counter-attacks. So it was really hard for Inter. I think this is just like a matter of, of, of uh, you know, chance and, and Inter was just unlucky. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, just to back up you, what your inclinations were, of course, Inter had the uh, possession 62% of the time. They had 20 shots total, seven on target versus Samps nine and three shots and three on goal the xg was 4.21 for inter and 1.51 for samp so what that tells me wow. is that inter yeah. was not able to finish like they normally did right i mean that's a significant decline versus the opportunities created and to get to daniele's point you need a closer and lukaku has been that closer and and so lukaku Needs a break. Everybody needs a break. But, but I just feel like in this case, they did everything right. And sometimes the wrong thing happens. And that 12th, Samp had a, 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 an extra player on the pitch, and that was the pitch itself. Uh, I said <laughs> earlier, they, Inter needs to bring a boat, boats the next <laughs> time they go there because it was a swamp. And uh, it's, a, it's an equalizer along with the rain. And Samp got a little lucky. And... 
hey, a win is still a win and, and Inter is going to brush themselves off and they're still, it's, it's going to be very exciting in the next few weeks. No boat needed. All you need is 15 millimeters metal studs <laughs> in the back and 13 millimeters up front and you're good to go. Even on, on those pitches, it's a different kind of game. A game where second balls are even more important. A game where um, the guys that get stuck in the harder will probably win more possessions. But, um, hey, that's part of the game. Who knows? Maybe that was strategy. I don't know. I remember uh, Mourinho, when he played against Guardiola, doing something like purposely keeping the grass uh, taller because uh, in a way to uh, discourage you know, Pep's team uh, quick circulation of the ball. I don't know about that. What I want to bring up is this Roma team. Guys, Roma has been outstanding. And to me, it's a little bit of a surprise. So they won again 3-1 at Crotone. They're now third at uh, 33 points. And uh, they're getting closer to the, to the top considering that both Milan teams lost. Here's the question for you guys. Um, do you believe that this Roma squad can make a claim for the Scudetto? Or do you feel like the run is going to be unsustainable, kind of like what happened last year to Lazio? Uh, it is an interesting question because I agree with you on the point that Roma usually uh, doesn't perform very well when they're under pressure, and especially at the very end of the season. The higher they get in the chart, the heavier the ball gets and they have a bit of like psychological problems when it comes to keeping the focus, keeping the eye on the goal. I don't know if this is going to be an yet another of this kind of season because Fonseca on one hand seems to me a coach that is really tough uh, and smart because he did not really have a favorable kind of start with Roma when it comes to result and all the newspaper at him Everyone was starting complaining about him. Roma is not really an easy pass for any coach, especially for one that was coming for a smaller league. And they were complaining about, yeah, he lacks an experience, he's not fit for the job. But he's doing really, really, really well because surprisingly Roma uh, finds itself... I, mm, I was um, looking at the stats of uh, Enric Mkhitaryan, which is one of, in my opinion, the key player and the added value coming from Arsenal. Uh, everyone was a bit skeptical about, you know, they were thinking that he was coming a bit to the, you know, elephant cemetery, coming to the <laughs> Serie being a bit old from the Premier League. But in fact, he did amazingly, is really the leader of uh, Roma. And Fonseca is showing that he is trying to not only uh, do the game that he wants for Roma, but also try to use all the players that he has, which is really important for the new ownership. He uh, really tried to reinstate players that were considered off of the project. I think about Bruno Perez. I think about um, um, many other players, for example, Spinazzola that... Uh, was injured, now is uh, about to get back. Um, Ibanez, the central defender from, uh, from Atalanta, that was considered a bit of a mysterious object. So he tried to pull all these different elements together by keeping in mind what the ownership wants and is performing really, really well. I, the only thing, and I close here, the only enemy of Roma usually is Roma itself. Yeah, I think... Go ahead, Daniel. No, you please. No, I... I, I I'm in, in 
to agree with Giacomo. I, I think Mkhitaryan and to a lesser degree Pellegrini are the the in, you know the chiefs in the engine room. Both of them are in in terms of successful attacking uh, actions per ninety minutes. They're in the top twenty across the league. Mm. So there's a lot of dynamism there. You know what? I am struck by the fact that they've actually let in very few goals, um, considering that their defenders aren't really known as superstar defenders. Um, I just worry a little bit because I think we're going to find out if they're the real deal in the next five weeks, because they're going to be playing Inter on Sunday, Lazio the following week. Uh, And then they're going to have to play Juve um, a couple weeks later. And I just feel like in, in mid February, we're going to have a pretty good idea of what sort of legs Roma has uh, and I, I want them to be successful, but I just feel like they're missing a few really big pieces. Um, so we'll kind of see where things go. Daniela, what were you thinking? Yeah, I was going to say that um, they show really sparks of great football in the past uh, The past game at Crotone. Some like long ball, uh, layoff, uh, ball across, like, you know, with the right timing. And that tells you that players are on the same page. The understanding is good. The chemistry is uh, improving. But like you said, Chris, the, the schedule uh, toughens up now. And not only uh, for the um, for how difficult the next games are going to be, but also because they're going to come fast, right? How many times have we, thought, have we talked about the thickness of this uh, of the schedule of this season? So uh, I'm excited as well to see if Roma will be able to uh, to keep doing as well as they're doing. Another surprise I would like to bring up because I think they're worth uh, mentioning is Benevento, right? Filippo Inzaghi's team. Um, they lost last weekend uh, at home 2-0 against Milan, but it was a fantastic game by Inzaghi's man. Really um, playing a kind of soccer uh, that was exciting because they always try to uh, you know, implement their ideas. They're never passive, always um always proactive in the in the way they play and this weekend they won at Cagliari by the way guys Marco Sau's goal oh my goodness the ball uh, a long ball from uh, from uh, all the way back from the um, the midfield and with a one touch finish he just struck it across his body to score um the equalizer in that game Benevento will um would end up winning the game but what are some of the patterns that Giacomo you you might have seen in this Benevento team that is really exciting? I think um, everyone is surprised about Benevento because I followed Benevento last year um, in the second division mm-hmm. and they were really really playing an offensive uh, soccer. They had a really aggressive uh, attitude. They're always trying to impose their game, even away, even when the pitch conditions were not the best. We all know the second division in Italy. And uh, for once, I also saw that even the transfer market during the summer was actually kind of accurate. They were not trying to go after, generally their president only goes after sensational sensational names or really like, uh, you know, old famous players that were playing in Turkey. But this time with Inzaghi, probably they brought it together. And what I really appreciate about this uh, uh, Benevento is the tactical solution. 
that they adjust according to the game because Inzaghi switches really easily between 4-3-3 and 4-3-1-2 and we saw it last time with Cagliari. So it's really uh, providing different alternatives to uh, the players and they also have good players. They have Insigne, they have Improta, which is really experienced and is in the team for a few seasons already. Um, uh, Caprari as well, as always uh, showed in the last two seasons with Sampdoria and with the loans he had, that he really wanted to show that he could do something uh, uh, really good with his career and I think he's getting along very well. Uh, so I believe that uh, they have Schiaparella, which is really experienced players as well, and the assist for uh, Sao, to get back to your point, was like... I think it was 90% of the goal. Of course, you need the technical capabilities of converting it on a volley with a right foot and cross it and, and go past Cranio because let's not forget that Cranio is also a, a hell of a keeper. Mm -hmm. But I believe that Inzaghi's ability to switch and to take the most out of the, out of the, of the players, uh, it's really the key for Benevento because it's really difficult then to go and play against Benevento because you would expect... A defensive team, you know, they're just like being promoted, so they're just gonna defense and counter. And yet, uh, they um, are really, really uh, dangerous because they're always playing uh, with uh, vertical passes. So, kudos to uh, uh, Inzaghi because he's really doing a great job. Obviously, Benevento, like uh, the majority, if not all teams that get promoted, they're working on a very modest budget. I don't, I don't think that they're. Uh, yeah. what they spend on, on player wages um, is more than what 30 million a year I think it's less than that uh, Verona as well is another team that are doing a great job at uh, making the most with limited financial resources and you know in a league where uh, teams like Juventus and Inter especially trump uh, the other teams in terms of what they can do with, uh, with their money I'm always always uh, I always like to um, to give credit to the to the teams that uh, do so well despite on paper starting uh, well well behind. Have you guys do you, would you, do you guys feel like bringing up any other surprises, uh, overachievers, underachievers from the from this season from this campaign so far after uh, this sixteen matches? Well, I'll bring up uh, a swallow, which mm. is uh, probably. A surprise, but not really a surprise. But it's definitely if you look at the if you look at the table in the Serie A, you can see that Roberto De Zerbi Sassuolo is really uh, um, overperforming um, on one hand, uh, and then on the other hand, I'd like to talk about uh, Fiorentina or Torino, for example, they are struggling a lot, um, or even Parma, which is really underperforming in comparison to the previous season. Not to mention that they just sacked uh, um, Liberani today, only to substitute it with uh, uh, Daverza. So Roberto Daverza goes back to uh, uh, to the bench after being sacked last season. It doesn't really look well for Parma, which is really, in my opinion, highly dependent on Gervinho, which mm -hmm. who is a really great player, is capable of um, uh, you know performing really really well for uh, being in a team that is fighting for uh, to avoid relegation and given the age but i believe that liverani tried to kind of build up a different strategy um, that doesn't revolve completely around Gervinho. Mm -hmm. and this 
takes time. And in Italy, especially in this area, fans and ownerships and supporters are really not very patient with this kind of like, let's try to do something different that has a, mi a minimal of long perspective. They just want the results and they want it now, which is really good in terms of the table. But then if you don't have a project that goes on a long run, then you might have be to rely on the health of the player and their reliability when it comes to the injury. So I think that Parma is struggling a lot. But uh, let's talk about Sassuolo, for example. Sassuolo is one of the teams that surprises me the most. And I guess that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that none of us could have said it last year or two years ago even that Sassuolo, uh, after 17 games, could really be in a position to fight for a Europa League spot. And I agree. And if we look at how their offensive players especially have grown we can argue that they have one of the most talented attacks in the league because Boga, Berardi, Zuricic, Caputo, uh, De Frel coming from the bench, uh, Traore, yesterday Raspadori, the, the youngsters scored. Um, they are doing so well. It's not a coincidence that Berardi, um, Caputo and midfielder Locatelli have been called up to the national team, right? A couple months ago by, by Mancini. So Sassuolo is a great, great, uh, great team to follow. Uh, De Zerbi, another coach that um, kind of similar to what you, Giacomo, just said about Benevento. He likes to just play everywhere he goes, at home, away. That's the identity. That's what we're going to stick to no matter who's in front of us. And that's something that um, you have to respect. Chris, uh, do you have anything to, uh, to bring up about this Sassuolo team that I remember a couple of months ago you were pretty excited about... Um, you know, figuring out whether they could be, they could replicate what they uh, had done past lockdown. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I can't help but think about what are other comparables of small clubs that have in other leagues that have been able to take a little bit of money and be grand in their vision in terms of tactics. And you know, I, I know that right now Leeds is 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 probably that in in the Premier League. Um, Last year, Hatafe, which is a com opposite strategy of uh, and tactics of Leeds, they were able to really outperform given what their payroll was. And of course, Atalanta was Atalanta last year, right? Absolutely. So it's interesting to see Sassuolo. Will they be able to maintain? Um, you know, I I think it's a bit naive for people to think that they can go and 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 beat the the big four or big five regularly. But if they do a little better than those teams around them and they beat those lower in the table, that's a great, great year. So I, I don't know if they're going to have what it takes to get into Europa. I hope they, they claw on as long as they can and maybe get that a last spot just to make it make the season interesting. And if there's a season for the, something like that to happen, this is the perfect season for that. Absolutely. And uh, Chris, since you mentioned Atalanta, now I want to move on to the last section of today's show, which is transfer deals, right? Serie A on January 4th, they began their transfer window. They opened it up and there are some hot names. And uh, Giacomo, is, uh, he started a column on Forbes called the Great Serie A Winter Transfer, transfer Market Sale, uh, where he analyzes the hottest names of this transfer window, where players might find new homes, what makes sense, what are the financial implications of these potential deals? 
And Chris, because you mentioned Atalanta, why don't we start with Papu Gomez? Um, Giacomo, why don't you uh, illuminate us on where Papu Gomez might end up, might find a new home? Well, um, Daniele, that's a tricky situation with uh, <laughs> Alejandro Gomez, I have to say, because it really came out of the blue. Cold Turkey, we have the breaking news going in that he has. Uh, we don't really exactly know what happened, but they, they, they say that there was a dressing room bust up between uh, him and uh, Atalanta's coach, Giampiero Gasperini. Mm -hmm. Gazzetta dello Sport tried a bit to reconstruct what happened behind the scene because it really was one of the kind of eat-it-up confrontation that you have during a game in off-time in a dressing room. Atalanta was down 1-0 uh, against Midtjylland, which is probably the worst team of the Champions League uh, group that they had. <laughs> uh, they needed desperately point, and Gasperini, um, according to La Gazzetta dello Sport, had a kind of... Uh, idea on how to develop further Alejandro uh, Gomez's uh, capabilities when it comes to the attack. So he gave him a suggestion to kind of isolate himself out on the right and try to cut in from the middle, not giving many, um, how do you say, orientation point to the defender. So he kind of like gave him an advice and it's something that is working on it and it's something that is like been happening over the last two to three months because he wants to really make the most out of the potential that Gomez has, being the key player, being the most representative player. Turns out, though, that Gomez didn't think that way. So they kind of got physical or maybe not, and they had to, you know, like uh, set them aside or we really don't know what happened. Bottom line is that since then, Gasperini frozen out Gomez from the start uh, from the starting 11 he only used him against Ajax in the Champions League last game as a substitute and ever since Gomez is not even training with the rest of the team so it's really a hot take and it's really a controversial kind of situation hold on let me jump in one second um Eurosport reported that uh, Gomez allegedly threw a punch I read Obviously, it's not it's it's not proven, but that's that's been written about. So, <laughs> in that case, I, I I see how there can be no. It's a point of no return, right? Percassi, the the owner, he tried to reconcile the the two parts, but apparently, that's there's nothing else to do. They're just gonna it's part ways. It's really difficult uh, with the temperament that allegedly Italians and Argentinians have, let's say. Mm -hmm. It's one of the traits they have in common, so it's really hard for them to kind of like recover. But Atalanta is not in, really, in a really great position because they're kind of forced to let him go. And Gomez, okay, uh, he doesn't really have a high wage, despite he's the highest wage of Atalanta, because it's 2.5 million euros per season, mm -hmm. which really makes you think a lot, uh, <clears throat> as Chris was pointing out before, the, the, the relationship between the payroll, the wages, and the performance on the pitch, Atalanta is doing magnificently. And Gasparini, I believe that he wanted to prove a point. He wanted to prove a point mm -hmm. to Gomez, telling him, look, you're not the superstar, we can carry on without you. And I have to develop the other players. I have an objective that the ownership gave me. I have a vision of game because let's not forget that Gasperini has a really peculiar kind of offensive uh, soccer. 
So he kind of like set him aside and he forced Percassi to say, look, it's between me and him. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose probably 10, 12 millions in that, but you're probably going to get the fruit of it in the future. So there is also, and, and I'm going to finish, there is also another, another thing. Who is going to take Gomez? And here is the question, because it appears that there are other variables in the field. Uh, Gomez is 32. He has three kids. He has a family. Bergamo, which is a city where Atalanta is, uh, is from, uh, it's not really far away from Milan. And he kind of expressed the, his will to remain in the kind of area. He already turned down an offer from LN MLS. Apparently, uh, oh. FC Cincinnati wanted to take him. Um, he want, uh, Yapstam wanted to have him because Cincinnati didn't really get good in the last playoff. And also, he rejected a very lucrative offer from Al Nasr, so from the... Um, uh, Saudi League, if I don't get wrong, yeah. uh, really remunerative, 12 million for him. But he said, no, I want to stay close to Bergamo, I want to stay close to my family, which leads me to the question, where is it going to go? I mean, close to Bergamo, uh, I'm thinking there's Milan, uh, 30 minutes. Uh, I got a solution. I got a solution. I'm all ready to go here, okay? You guys ready for this? Because it's am. one little hitch. And we're going to trade uh, Gomez for Ericsson. Right. The only trouble is that Ericsson's four and a half million and Gomez is two million. So I think between the, two, the three of us, if we can just look in our sofa cushions and find an extra two and a half million, they'll <laughs> be okay. This but I will tell you, <laughs> I, I just, I wonder to let's, let's explore this for a second mm-hmm. because I want to hear y'all, y'all's views on this. Ericsson needs a fresh start. Inter won him out desperately. Yep. They loan him out, cover his salary, and get Gomez in, who's still a very creative player. And how would he fit, in y'all's opinion? How would the switch fit? I don't know if Ericsson fits in that high, that super high press for Atalanta, though he did play at Tottenham, where they did a fair bit of high pressing under the um, – uh, you know, the, the, the previous Mourinho years, right? So Pochettino was known for that. So what helped me unpack that? Why would that not work? I don't know. Ericsson would have to, I mean, besides the money problem, which is huge, and there's a lot to figure Absolutely out there. Huge, right? It's huge. Uh, Ericsson would have to kind of humble up because Atalanta plays in a way that's in Italian, we call it like a provincial style, which is we're all, um, if that makes sense, we're all um, humble players where there's no superstar. Um, we're all at the same level. And Ericsson, to be fair, his career, according to his career, he can, he can go in and say, hey, listen, I'm the star player here. I've made way more money than anybody else here. Daniele. Way more international <laughs> games. He hasn't played for two years, basically, right? I know. That's a, he rode the pine, right? That's, so, another, that's another thing. Um, he needs playing time because of the, um, of the Euros that are coming up this summer. Yeah, and the way I look at it is, is if you said to Conte, look, you pay the same wage, but we're going to get someone in here. He's older, but he is on fire. He has something really to prove. With Ericsson, you say the same thing too. You've got this, you've got a Ferrari, a new Ferrari to drive here, right? And you can redeem yourself and then maybe go to Real Madrid. Yes, is the Isco Ericsson deal more likely? Mm. Possibly. 
but it always seems like the best deals never work out. It's always the second or third deal. And I think Erickson's going to have to realize reality for what it is. He is not even a super sub on, on a, a Milan team. He needs to be playing a lot, even if that means a step down, unless he gets real lucky with a PSG or Real Madrid. And I don't think PSG is going to throw four and a half million bucks because they got some, some other players they got to sign first. And he started to lose his hair too, right? Have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> is that a factor as well that we should bring in? Because, okay, I, I have to give you credit, uh, 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 Chris, because, uh, you know, when you say there is some leverage or there are some reasons why this could go through, I agree with you. As, as Daniela mentioned, yes, the Euro Cup. And, uh, I mean, let's not forget that Let's not, down, let's not downsize Atalanta so much because Inter is not playing the Champions League uh, court, um, round of 16 and yeah. Atalanta does. So if I would have to approach Christian Eriksen and tell him, look, everyone is thinking that you're like a bluff. You came here, you are the most expensive salary in FC Inter because you're getting 7.5 million per season. And yet you haven't proven according to, you know, to the media and the fans your worth. If you want to play Champions League, if you want to have the chance to show everyone that they're wrong, then you have to do it in a team in which you can actually be able to take the weight and the responsibility on your shoulder. You're the superstar and you can make Atalanta make the leap, you know, the step to become one of the best teams in Italy. So there is this kind of romantic side for Gomez. On the other hand, he could go to FC Inter, be close with the family, uh, works with Conte, which is something that uh, I believe for uh, his career is also um, interesting because he did an interview in which he said like, yeah, I find it really challenging to you know, uh, learn from the coach. And when he was called up for Argentina, he was saying like, yeah, I really like it that there is a, this kind of like exchange of idea with the coach. But I see two major problems in there. Mostly is like the first one I would say is the money because there are 5 million euros to get between one wage and the other. And as you already mentioned before, there are really, really little team that could do that because Inter only will accept to sit down on the table with 20 million euros cash, no funny stuff, no strange formulas, which is really, really hard at the moment. Really, really little team, if none, has the financial capacity to do that, which means that in order for it to happen, then Inter would have to pay five millions of the wage just to reinforce Atalanta in probably the run-up for the Champions League. So there is this economical wage. And the second thing is the prima donna kind of, of, uh, of point, because like who saying that Gomez arrives at Conte and we all know the way that Conte coaches, the way that Conte is, he expects 100% constantly from everyone else. He doesn't really look up of the hierarchies and he really expects a lot from player and it's either his way or the highway. And given that Gomez already had this beef with the, uh, with uh, Gasperini, I don't know if that would, if Gomez would say, okay, I'm just going to come to Inter and follow Conte's rules. But definitely. I'm saying a four-month loan. It's, it's, it's a starter. It's a four-month loan because Inter's already paying $7 million, right? Mm -hmm. For, a, for a, a barely a sub versus maybe bringing in someone that's got something to prove. It doesn't cost you much. 
more. So, so for Inter, the money's already going out the door, no matter what happens. And I just think that for, uh, Atal you know, for Atalanta, it's, hey, like you said, maybe this is our year to go super, even deeper in Champions League if we get lucky, right? But wait, aren't Atalanta trying to sell Gomez definitively because he's going to run out of contract in the summer of 2022? So right. the more they wait... 23. 23? So he still has one year and a half. Yeah, and who's so going to buy... Who's going to buy him at 20 million in COVID, a 32-year-old? I, I just, I don't see that happening. I just feel like this transfer is going to, it's not even, you shouldn't call it a transfer. You should call it a loan. A loan window is what it's going to be. They're going to camouflage it as a, as a plus Valenza, like they do uh, often. <laughs> and they, and they, work, they work the numbers and it's going to work out. <laughs> I mean, after all, is the COVID market. We all know that uh, the financial capabilities right now are really shrinked. I, I, I was reading a report about, uh, you know, uh, the quantity and the quality of deals that it, uh, has been going through uh, over the summer. And it's uh, really, it's a massive increase of free loans or loans with like one year, two years maybe with the option to buy. So you're not really binding yourself to buy a player if, you know, like if this situation keeps on going or not. So there is some leverage and some uh, space, in my opinion, for some financial creativity between this uh, mm -hmm. Gomez, uh, 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 Ericsson swap. And then again, as Chris said, let's let's see let's see because uh, if it's really mostly about the psychological way that you frame it for the players as well, and 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 if you frame it as a loan and as a way to redeem your career to prove something for yourself, maybe there is something to it. Giacomo, what are some other possible transfers that can happen in these four weeks of calcio mercato? We keep hearing names of Fabio Quagliarella, and Milik. Is not playing at Napoli. Even Llorente from Napoli, Scamacca from Genoa. Is he going to join AC Milan? Tell us. Tell us what are the possible deals here. Well, um, it's a whole new world uh, right now for the um, transfer market uh, window in January for Serie A. As we already mentioned, little money, but a packed schedule really challenging calendar, a set of games that it's going to probably strain out uh, uh, the players. So you need, you know, uh, to rotate, you need to have uh, the capability of having, uh, the capability of being able to substitute the player also because of COVID, as we saw with uh, mm -hmm. Juventus against Milan, Krunic and Rebic last moment played out. Juventus was without Quadrado and Alexandro for the same reason of COVID. So you need to kind of find a way to bring in uh, new players. Uh, there is this kind of tendency that I noticed in the last uh, uh, two or three days of the transfer market gossip in Italy. There is this kind of tendency to go and aim for the reliable second-hand former striker. So follow me in this. Mm -hmm. Because we saw uh, rumors regarding Fabio Quagliarella from Sampdoria to Juventus. We saw rumors regarding Eder from Shanghai Shenhua, if I don't oh, get wrong. Still alive, Eder? <laughs> the guy is still alive and kicking. He's 34 years old. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. But it's really something 
that has been off the beaten track and off the map for a while, but it's still there for Inter. It was uh, linked to Inter. There is uh, Llorente, which is pretty much linked to any uh, mid-tire to top-tire team uh, as a fourth striker option. Uh, and what do they have in common, all this player? They are reliable because they're really highly experienced because of the age. So they're around 34, 35, 36 in some cases, even more like Coyarella or Llorente. They are former players of that team. So they know the environment. They don't need to have the psychological time that they need to set up in the team. They know um, uh, the, the, the atmosphere at the, at the plausible clubs they were, they're supposed to be going. And it's something, in my opinion, that the sports director are doing just to be on the safe side. Just, you know, you're just doing a call, you call Quayarella, you call uh, Llorente, you call Adair and say, look, by February 4th, if I don't get anything, do I have your word you're going to come and save us at the very last day? Because I believe there is a bit of this tendency. But then again, it's up to the players to decide because today Quayarella... Uh, on his Instagram uh, uh, profile in the post in which he said that uh, although it's really, you know, uh, honored to, you know, have received the offer is committed for Sampdoria and he will stick to that. So it's like if by the times we're both 40s, neither of us is married, we're going <laughs> to marry each other. Is that is that what you're saying? If by the time the Calcio Mercato closes, uh, we haven't found a striker or a player in that position, we're going to sign you? Is that how you think the, the sporting directors are playing it at this time? I think, I think it's only, well, to, to be frank, I think it's only for Eder. Eder has a kind of like a situation like this. Uh, Italian transfer market wounded Gianluca Di Marzio described it. And he described a bit the way that Marotta would work with him and the strategy that he has behind. Now, about the other uh, situations, uh, speaking of strikers, there is Arkadiusz Milik for Napoli, which is another really uncomprehensible situation that Napoli set itself uh, in. Um, really don't know what's going to happen there. The threatening lawsuit. We all know that with Aurelio De Laurentiis, the president of Napoli, everything can really happen. Um, again, as Chris was saying before, they're really, really... Uh, little team that can afford that because Napoli wants it down uh, for anything that is below 12 million euros, which by the way is quite uh, high given the circumstances and the situation. Uh, Scamacca as well is a good profile as you said. Uh, Pinamonti as well has been linked with uh, um, many teams. Actually lately Benevento uh, yeah. because they're trying to, to find a way to uh, to uh, supply and give Inzaghi more creativity up front. So um, the point is, it's going to be a market in which, aside the big name, aside the loose guns, there is going to be a lot of free swapping, a lot of uh, you know loan deals, a lot of, probably I have to say, uh, some of the clubs like Sassuolo and Atalanta are doing only uh, a transfer market for the future. Uh, uh, for example, Mele from, uh, from the Belgian Jupiler League that arrived to Atalanta for 10 millions. But those are players that are not ready to play now. Uh, so this is another kind of like yeah. way or objective that the sport directs are have. Either you are still and you don't buy anyone and you do 
deals for the future or it's really hard to find someone for free or a very little loss price that is ready. Oh yeah, Chris, no no Ibrahimovic backup at AC Milan? Well, I just I just the people that I have in mind would cost I know what you have so much, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I was actually going to ask where does it where would a Diego Costa fit? Mm. Where would a, Gir, a Giroud fit, right? What does what what could Juve give up to get Pogba? Because they they've coveted him for many years, and it's going to have to be loans because Giroud is five point seven million pounds per year, right? So he he's not going to be cheap. I, what would be fun is if they traded Ericsson for Giroud, and then having you did a four four two with uh, Lukaku up there. But I, I just think the overlap of play might be a bit too much. Or maybe Lukaku is the striker that plays in and and and, uh, and could be speedy. I don't know where Lutaro would, would end up, but those are the sort of questions. Like Cost Diego Costa, everyone's talking that he's going to go to Wolves, which would be a perfect fit, fix their problem with Jimenez. I don't see, you know, Costa is he's an unknown quantity. We don't know if he's still got it in him. Uh, so I don't know if. You know, I'd love for Lazio to make a move for someone uh, up high to just be able to support that the midfield, all the talent that they have there. So I'm going to stop talking there. What do we? It can. Is there any way we can bring Costa, Giroud, or Pogba to uh, to City A this year? And where I was would they say go? one thing before I pass yeah. it on to Giacomo? If Juventus get Pogba back, you know the the Pog back play on words they did back then. If they bring him back and they spend relatively low money on him, they have been doing the best deal ever because they bought him for cheap from menu. They sold him back for what? A hundred and five million uh, a few years ago. And then they're going to buy him back for not too much. That would be a little, maybe even embarrassing from a menu standpoint and great it's going to look great on the Agnelli uh you know decision making process but yeah Giacomo uh you feel free to take on the De Giroux and Diego Costa topics whoa um well uh let's start with the easy one uh Giroux um with Giroux it's I I don't see him moving in January I don't see him moving in January because I don't see Lampard giving the green light to letting go in January after the way he's performing. And I agree. I agree. I mean, he's got more goals per 90 minutes than anybody in the Premier League. And the person that's second is Abraham, right? So, and he's not, really? even, start, he's not even starting those guys, right? That's the crazy thing, but it drives me wow. nuts that Giroud is arguably in the best form of his life and he can't give minutes. And that's why I'd love to see him in, in Italy. I just don't think that, there are any of the Italian teams that desperately need a target striker like Giroud, though he would improve every side. I just, yeah. I don't see it happening. I'd love for him to get some minutes though, because I think that when you spend 250 million euros on transfers, you got to play those guys, even though the best guy may be on the bench and his name is Giroud. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't see, I mean, this is a complicated situation. Uh, so I don't see, I don't see Giroud uh, do, taking such a step. I don't see Lampard doing such a step. 
And I don't see Abramovich allowing that to happen because, yeah, of course, they invest a lot of money in Timo Werner, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, financial capability. Uh, I mean, especially after the, the, the transfer market uh, break that they had. So I don't think they're going to risk it. Now, Pogba. Pogba is another hmm. complicated situation. Why? Because there is Mino Raiola in between. And when there is Mino Raiola in between, oh boy, you don't never you never know what's going to happen because the about. I think that uh, I don't think that Manchester United is going to settle down for a measles sum because they already did it once, and I don't think that Mino Raiola will be able to do the trick again because I don't think that this time the willing of the player plays a big role. And you know that because Mino Raiola, I think one month ago, did this interview with Tuto Sport in which he said, Pogba times at Manchester United is done. He cannot stand there anymore. He wants to go on and blah, blah, blah. I think he did that just to put a bait for the other teams, but for the next season. So we're talking about... 2023 summer because that's when Pogba contract is going to end. He still has, uh, I think, if I don't get wrong, some time there. And uh, I mean, they paid him 105 million euros in 2016 uh, uh, from Juventus. Mm. And I don't see that happening on the way back really easily because, okay, the guy is 27, is a top player. But, you know, it's a bit inconsistent with the performances and he has a bit of like a stigma around him and is a bit like pointed out when things are not going really well. I think it's a risky move for, uh, for Ryan for um, Manchester United, probably. Uh, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to Diego Costa, well, we have another, we have another situation here. Um, I think he's going to go back to the Premier League because the only other Italian team that can afford his wage is probably only Juventus. And Juventus right now, I don't think that they have the, the capability of getting another wage in the range of 6.5 to 7 million euros. Um, yeah, there is a bit of like uh, help when it comes to... Uh, the fiscal, uh, there is a fiscal decree that the Italian government did for uh, encouraging uh, foreign workers to come and work in Italy so they would save up some taxes, but still is not enough, in my opinion, for Juventus to allow it. And let's not forget, given that Pirlo has this kind of like new blood, young players kind of thing, I don't think he's going to go for Diego Costa. But if he were to go to Italy, would he be able to take a fair exam or does he have to be a cheated one as well? <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't see him really well with Ibrahimovic, so I would exclude Ibrahimovic <laughs> and Diego Costa. I would love to see that. I would love to see that. But also, can we stop, can Juventus stop signing attacking players and just give consistent playing time to Paolo Dybala, please? <laughs> well, um, I think he's done phenomenally in the last two games, uh, not only against AC Milan, but uh, in the way he's trying to, you know, also to have a response on the critics he's receiving uh, regarding the renewal of the contract. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably one of the first time in his career that he's a bit under pressure because the expectations that he generated around himself are a bit uh, closing in up on him and is probably trying to 
find a way not to think about it and to show off on the pitch what he can do. Um, yeah, he deserves more time for sure. But then there is this old kind of quarrel whether about are Dybala and Cristiano Ronaldo compatible? Because another point that I would like to point out about Juventus against Milan, if you notice, Ronaldo yesterday was completely not in the game. I don't remember a dangerous action done by Ronaldo. I don't remember him being, you know, decisive on the pitch. It was overshadowed by Dybala, in my opinion. And I think that the compatibility, compatibility issue between the two of them is probably a stake there. About Ronaldo, I have two things to say. The first one is, yes, I agree. Yesterday it wasn't as effective as it usually is. The second one is, I'm sorry, but I do not care because Ronaldo, when he's on the pitch, he keeps one or two center backs always, always occupied. Always. I don't care. Dybala can thrive on the space that the defenders leave vacant because Ronaldo is going to keep them engaged. It's like having uh, Ibrahimovic on the field. Maybe he doesn't score, he doesn't assist, but when he's there, there's always this, this consistent worry uh, from the defenders. Okay, this guy's here. Uh, we have to mark him. Uh, and there's going to be probably, we're probably going to need to double down on him because he's so good. So I think that indirectly, even when we don't see the effect of Ronaldo maybe uh, getting his name on the score sheet, he's, he, he does his part. And yesterday um, I was looking at his movement on the third goal uh, from McKenney. He was free. He had gotten rid of his marker. Obviously, the ball didn't, uh, go, didn't get all the way through to him, but he had gotten rid of his defender and would have, he would have pushed the ball in like a good number nine does, right? Just unmarking yourself and then uh, putting the ball in when, um, when it's a time. That's, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I just like his movements and the way he plays, but I think it's just fundamental, even though when you don't see... You know him scoring and celebrating with the woo. He he does his he does his part with the trademark. I see. Yeah, <laughs> Chris. Well, what absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What do I? Th what do I think? Yeah. Um, I I'm trying to come up with uh, again more loan situations where what player can be exchanged for another, and I came up with this fantastic trade idea. Commercially, it would change everything, but. Uh, I think the reality fairy is going to say, hell no. Um, but uh, Pogba for Ronaldo. Oh, no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll tell you, the commercial directors would love that because Juve jersey, Pogba jerseys would blow up. And, of course, Ronaldo, uh, Man U jerseys. Uh, the only little thing is is that Ronaldo makes 32 million uh, pounds a year and, and Pogba makes 16. Uh, so, um it's still uh, the numbers don't quite work there. That little problem where the numbers don't work at all. Um, and, and the truth is Man U has got, they're, they're, they're good on wingers uh, right now. They, that's not where they need help, uh, in my opinion. So you'll be ruminating on the Ronaldo Pogba swap, potential swap? No, I'm just trying to figure out how do you, how do you move. Juve desperately wants Pogba. Whether that is a good idea or not, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know if it's a great idea. I mean, I there when I see Pogba there, he is there moments of brilliance. Unfortunately, there's a lot of time between those moments and a lot of headache associated between those moments. 
Um, so I, I, I probably would go with a more solid, less spectacular player than Pogba, but that's just me. Chris, that is so crazy. And if it actually happens, I'm buying you three rounds. I'm, <laughs> sa I'm saying it right now. Push. I, I, I'm going to ask Giacomo to, to, to push the Ericsson Gomez deal. I think that makes sense. A four-month loaner, five-month loaner, because the money's already going out the door. That, to me, seems like a reasonable option. Pogba Ronaldo, that's something that you better buy me a house in Bergamo. If, if, if either I, one, you're getting three rounds from me. If either one happens, I swear. Well, I hope that Giuseppe Marotta and Piero Zilli are listening to us. <laughs> well, you just retweeted and they will be. I'm, I'm, I'm confident of that. So uh, uh, that's what we'll all do. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think there are going to be some lower profile trades that don't that aren't aren't top of mind but i do think at the the loan notion what maybe seem complicated you know in the u.s in the nfl trading players or in or in nba it's very common it just seems for whatever reason that's not the custom in europe mm -hmm. and i wonder because of because of the COVID economy people are if if, if they want something to happen that's about the only game that they're going to have probably this season all the way through next January, because everyone's going to have to rebuild their balance sheets before they can start dropping 40, 50, 60 million on a transfer. So I think this is 18 months from now where maybe this becomes like, Hey, it, it's working elsewhere. Maybe we should sit, we should do these sort of things. Chris, that's a spectacular forecast. And I really look forward to seeing if that, <laughs> if that happens. No, seriously. Um, Giacomo, Thank you so much. We have to wrap things up, but thank you so much for being with us and sharing your uh, insights on Serie A. What is your Twitter handle that we can uh, we can follow to keep up uh, with your work? Well, thanks a lot for uh, the invitation. It has been a pleasure to talk to you and to Chris. Uh, and um, it was really, really fun. So uh, I'm really... Uh, excited uh, about uh, the next invitation and I really wish you guys the best of luck. My Twitter handle is um, Ja Galar. So it's just a contraction of my name and surname. Spell it out for, spell it out for us, please. So it's G-I-A-G-A-L-A-R. And we'll put it in the notes as well, just yeah. to make sure everybody gets it. Just two things to finish off very quickly. Giacomo, you come from an area, Tuscany, that is just amazing for, for great wine. Give us the name of your favorite wine, perhaps one from Livorno. Oof, wow, you are... Well, you, you you kind of like prepared this question, didn't you? It's like... <laughs> there is something... There is something about, uh, you know, when they, uh, when they ask me, where are you from? I'm from Tuscany. Everyone goes, oh, wow. No one ever goes like, oh, okay. You know, kind of like, that's right. I have information on Tuscany and, of course, the food and the wine plays a big role in it. I would suggest, um, well, my favorite wine is uh, the wine from the area of Bolgheri, which nice. is a lovely um, city in the south of Livorno along the Tuscany coast. It's already at the beginning of Maremma in the south of Tuscany, which is like, you know, the highly picturesque hills and cypresses that you can see in the Gladiator, for example. That's the kind of environment in which the wine is brought up. And uh, the name of the wine is Sassicaia. It's done only in a, in a wine yard that is called... Uh, mm, 
Guido Altasso, if I don't get wrong, and they only produce it in Livorno. It's red wine with ah. a strong taste. Goes well with cheese, with meat, but even with fish soup, which, has re- which are really, really famous in the area. Fish soup with tomato. And then you have a nice bottle of uh, sassicaia on the side. So that's definitely a treat that I would recommend you. Chris, are you thirsty yet or what? I am. I mean, I, I, as you know, I'm a huge fan of, of Rosso de Montalcino's, mm. uh, any of the Chianti Classicos, and then if I can afford it, the Brunellos. So, um, you right. know, I'm, I'm, I look forward to, to expanding my palate because of that recommendation. Giacomo, please wrap things up as for us, um, wrap things up for us, sorry, um, with an expression coming from the Livorno um, dialect, and then we're actually gonna uh, finish up the episode. I don't know, is there a way to say, talk later, see you guys in the Livornese dialect? Whoa, okay. <laughs> I thought for a second I was really scared that it has to be an expression connected with what we talk about. I was no, just already no, no. trying to scratch my Just head. a goodbye, just a goodbye, a farewell. Just say goodbye. I would say uh, in Livorno we say cheesy, which is a contraction of cheesy vede, uh. Uh, which means see you later, but we kind of like shorten it. Because we're kind of like a bit quicker when it comes to dialect, so we just say cheesy. Wonderful, then cheesy, Seria fans. Till the next time, ciao. <laughs>